rising up. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. There's an army. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah, good, good. Well, we do have a smaller crowd today. Um, it is our uh, weekend of our women's retreat. And um, next weekend will be the men's retreat down at Harvey Cedars. You'll hear more about that a little bit later after our time of worship. And um, But it's a special time, a special season, the life of Trinity. October, November, December, always very busy, a lot going on. And so we praise God for that. And I've uh, only heard a little bit uh, about the women's retreat, but from what I've heard, it's been going very well. They're blessed, and so we'll pray for them uh, as well. And so uh, just wanted to um, to welcome everybody. If, if you're joining us online, welcome. Remember that it's a great tool that we have to be able to um, join in online if you are not feeling well, if you're homesick, if you're traveling um, for whatever reason, it's a good opportunity. Certainly can't replace being here. Uh, you can't serve when you're watched online. You can't give somebody a hug or a handshake, but 
um, we are thankful for that great tool. So we welcome everybody that is joining us for our gathering today. Um, you, you know, as you see up there at Trinity, we have our core values, which are very important to us, and that is learn, grow, and serve. And that's how we pursue discipleship. And in fact, that's our whole theme for this morning as we continue our study of Matthew is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And so we pursue discipleship here at Trinity by those three things, by learning the truth and by growing in our faith and then serving and serving one another and the world around us. And we're going to be doing all three of those things in some form or fashion this morning. So uh, again, welcome, glad that you chose to spend your morning with us, and we will worship God in different ways. And in a moment, uh, we're going to read from Scripture, and that's a form of worship, giving God the the worth and devotion that he is due. And then also, we're going to sing songs of praise to our God as another great way to worship the Lord through song, something that we love to do here. So let me begin uh, our time of worship by reading. Uh, this is from the beginning of Psalm 25. Uh, the Psalms are an ancient collection of Hebrew worship songs, really. They're, it's poetry put to music. We don't have the music any longer, but of course we have the lyrics. And when we open the Psalms, we can picture uh, King David writing these and singing these, and they would use these as corporate times of worship. And so let these words be our call into worship. And then I'll, I'll pray and we'll stand and sing songs of praise together. So here is the beginning of Psalm 25. This is one of the Davidic Psalms. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your loving kindness. Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is our God. Amen. Why don't we stand together and then we'll pray and sing songs of praise to our God. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word as we read it. As we hear it being read, our desire is to be changed by it, to be transformed by your living word. But now, Father God, we want to praise and honor the living word, Jesus Christ. He is called our word, our living word, and so we look to him now. We set our minds on him, as you call us to set our minds on things above, not on this earth. So, Lord, help us to put aside all those things that concern us now, the things perhaps we woke up thinking about or that we struggled with this week. Father, for this time together, this brief time together this morning, God, we want to keep our focus and attention on you. 
May this be, Lord, the way that we begin our week, by honoring you, by hearing from your word, by singing songs of praise to you. So God, may you be blessed, may you be honored, and may this, this worship be a sweet sound to your ear as we join our hearts together in worship. God, bless us, and you be honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, church, let's worship God together.
season. Our God is good and great, right? And worthy to be praised. Amen. Take a minute to say good morning to somebody next to you. Praise God for a good time of worship. And uh, it is it is a special privilege, I think, to be able to worship God together. Um, I trust that this is the beginning of a week filled with worship for you. And uh, throughout the week that you get to worship God, maybe it's in your car on the way to work, or it's just at home with your family. Uh, but uh, it's a wonderful time to be able to, to sing praises and to worship our God together. Um, just a few announcements. We call this our time of church life. Uh, but before we get into that, I uh, just wanted to um, to pray. You know, there's two things, especially in my heart this morning, that I want to pray for. One is for our women who are wrapping up their women's retreat, as I mentioned earlier. I just pray the Lord continues to bless them as they bring that to a close and that he would bless their relationships, ones that uh, grew deeper and perhaps new ones. Um, and that those relationships would be based on their love and devotion for Jesus. But we also uh, want to spend a moment praying for Israel. And as uh, many of you have seen on the news yesterday, and um, war has broken out, and it's, um, um, it, you know, we all kind of have a sense and understanding uh, that um, there's always a sense of battle going on, and we know it from the scriptures that there always will be as God's chosen people and his land. Um, but at the same time, we realize that uh, this is different, and in many ways it's being called unprecedented. And so we want to pray for them. We often pray for people uh, around the world as things you know, happen, as we did for our, our friends in Ukraine, and as we did for the people suffering from the wildfires and other natural disasters that we've been seeing on the news. And so... We especially want to make sure that we take a moment to pray for Israel as well. 
Um, and so I will, I'll lead us in prayer for our, our women, and then, of course, for Israel. And I'd like to um, just read to you from another psalm in, in, in uh, leading into this prayer, from Psalm 122. This is a song of ascent, which means it was one of those few psalms that was kind of written for those um, Hebrew pilgrims that were out of the land of Israel that were making their way back to Jerusalem to the temple for a particular feast. And they, would, uh, they were called uh, by God in the Old Testament to come at certain times a year to come and worship him, to give offerings in the temple and so this song is one of those as they were singing this song called the Song of Ascent because Jerusalem is up on a, a mountain. It's higher elevation, so you had to go up to Jerusalem from wherever you were. And, of course, uh, this war that broke out yesterday was at the very end of Sukkot, one of the fall feasts, uh, remembering uh, the people of Israel and God's goodness to them in the desert um, after their um, freedom from captivity in Egypt. And so uh, people were celebrating when there were people outside and having, uh, um, you know, feasts and music and all that. And so um, I just want to read this to you, and then we will pray. From Psalm 122, it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The name Jerusalem actually means peaceful. So let us pray for the peace of Israel. Father God, First, we want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the, the women of our church who are at the retreat this weekend. We just say a special prayer over them as they, uh, as they bring their time together to a close. We pray, Lord God, that they would be encouraged, that they would be uh, challenged, that they would be overwhelmed by your Spirit's presence in them, and that, Lord God, they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they are loved by you, by their sisters in the Lord, or that there would be accountability, that there would be beautiful relationships that are formed and forged out of this time, and relationships that already existed, God, that they would continue to go deeper even as they return back to daily lives. So, Father, bless them, we pray. But God, also on our hearts and minds this morning are the people of Israel. God, your word tells us you are chosen people who are still in disobedience to you. They have yet accepted Jesus as their Messiah, but yet, God, a people special to your heart, a land special to you. And 
that we know from your word. And so, God, as your word tells us, we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we do that now. God, have mercy on that place. We pray, Father God, that there would be wisdom and discernment. It's hard, Father, to know how to pray during times of battle and conflict and war other than to say, God, have mercy and have your way. May people turn to you because of this. God, we ask you, the giver of life, to spare lives, that you would supernaturally intervene. And Father God, that the world will come to see you and to know Jesus through a time such as this. So Father God, remind us to pray often for the peace of Jerusalem and to heed the words of your word. And Father, we um, look forward to how you're going to resolve this, how you're going to intervene. We know what your word tells us, but your word also tells us to pray and to pray without ceasing for somehow, God, in your sovereign will, you work out that will through our prayers. And so we just want to be obedient and pray. So we pray and ask for your mercy and your help, Lord God. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, a few announcements before we get into God's word this morning. Remember that our Tuesday studies are underway. The men meet at 6.30 on Tuesday mornings and the women at 9.30 studying through the book of Colossians. And we'll also do Daniel and First and Second Thessalonians, a great opportunity to be involved in our men's ministry and our women's ministry through uh, um, studying God's Word and growing deeper. Our prayer gatherings are every Wednesday uh, here at church at 7 p.m. Uh, just pray that we would all be those prayer warriors for God, get signed up for our prayer email list so you can um, you know, be in the know about who we're praying for and then to see those wonderful um, praises and answers to prayer coming through. But our opportunity to gather collectively to pray is here at 7 o'clock on Wednesday evenings. Remember that we have a, a, a wonderful and vibrant Trinity Kids ministry. We're always looking for volunteers, and that's uh, uh, during the service. So we always um, uh, invite our children and their parents to join us during our time of worship through song, and then they're going to greet one another, and they make their way down the hall to their classes. And so if you're looking for a way to get involved, and you have an interest in that, any interest at all, just please come and see me. Uh, you can see Alyssa as well, who oversees our kids' ministry. But we're all looking for volunteers for that very important ministry. We also have uh, our young adults uh, ministry, and that's a wonderful group. We are meeting now every first and third Tuesday of the month. We just started this past week, and so uh, grateful for that. We had a large group over our house. Normally it will meet in Allenwood. But um, if you are interested in that, or if you have a, a young adult, maybe an 18 to 30-year-old in your life that you would love to see get involved and learn more about the Word, it's an opportunity for discipleship to go deeper in His Word and to grow closer to Him in community with one another. And so please keep that in mind. In a few weeks on October 21st, we have our October missions outreach. As you know, our Missions team tries to put together at least one opportunity every month to take the gospel of hope outside of these four walls. And so on October 21st, we're going to do just that. And we often talk about trying to step out of our comfort zone. And we showed a, 
a video last week from the Dream Center there in Philly that we'll be partnering with. In Kensington is this neighborhood, uh, such a rich history, but uh, really is unfortunately the center uh, of so much crime and, and uh, drug use and abuse there. And so there is this dynamic Christian ministry right in the center there that is trying to bring the hope of Jesus right to that area, to people that are in desperate need. And so um, we have a few spots left, so you can just go to our website, trinityallen.com, and register for that. Uh, and uh, all the details are there about when we're meeting and how long we're going to be there and what we'll be doing. But there are people from that ministry, trained uh, missionaries, that will be going out with us into the neighborhoods, um, and we'll be just supporting them and helping them as we serve people in some way or another. And so uh, that's a wonderful opportunity. So please keep that in mind. You can go to our website for all the details. And then uh, actually I'm going to ask Brother Bill, where is he? Oh, there he is. Brother Bill, if you would come up and give our last announcement for the morning about our men's retreat. Good morning, men. This weekend, uh, Friday night, the 13th, Saturday, the 14th, and Sunday, the 15th, we have our first annual, hopefully, Men's Discipleship Ministry Men's Retreat. Um, if you haven't signed up yet, you have till Monday to sign up, because we need to give a head count. So it's at Harvey Cedars, no the northern tip of Long Beach Island. Uh, so go online. If you haven't signed up and you're interested in going, go online, sign up. Uh, if you have, if you can't make the whole weekend, you can come for just Saturday, or maybe Saturday and Sunday if you can't make Friday night. So there's all kinds of activities. We have uh, uh, Greg English coming in to speak, to teach, uh, at four different sessions, and we have had Zoom meetings with him, and, and Keith has had several phone calls with him. He's... His life is devoted to men's discipleship. He has so much experience and so much knowledge that I encourage you all to get there if you can. Um, we even have, um, there's a pool. There is a fire pit. At night, we have the fire pit for one night with s'mores. <laughs> so, guys, don't miss it. If you need a ride, let us know. If finances are an issue, we don't want that to be an we don't want that to stop you from coming. Speak to Pastor Keith or one of the leaders about that. So hope to see you guys there. Thank you, guys. I think um, some of the guys were on the fence until you mentioned s'mores. And they're like, oh, where do I sign up? I'm in. Worth the money. So what's that? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, if, if you come, you'll also hear about um, a follow-up to that. There'll be a group starting a week after the retreat uh, to uh, kind of build on our time together. It'll be open for all the men, whether you make the retreat or not, but there will be a, a six-week study on the book of Galatians that will kind of, um, you know, the retreat is a springboard for that. So be looking for that information, but if you're at the retreat, you'll hear much more and see how that ties into what we're discussing. So thank you, brother. Uh, Bill is the leader of our ministry to men here, and so he's been instrumental along with Brother Ken and Gil and uh, Bob, who's not here today, just leading up our ministry to men, and so we're grateful uh, for them. And so um, be praying for that as well as you think about the women wrapping up this weekend and
pray for the guys for next weekend. Uh, and so we, um, we have been, <clears throat> excuse me, in our study of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles or you use the app on your phone, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. And we are in verses 18 to 22 today. That will be our passage of Scripture for us to focus on. But our uh, series is simply called King and Kingdom because uh, Matthew is writing this gospel by just way of review that he is writing this uh, gospel, this account of Jesus' life and ministry to a predominantly Jewish but now believing in Jesus as Messiah group. And so they believe these things that he's writing, but he's mainly writing to confirm these and to affirm their beliefs um, so that they are not led astray. Uh, false teaching was a problem right from the beginning in churches, as it actually is uh, today in many churches around the world, unfortunately. But Matthew is writing to actually encourage the believers and to challenge them, but he writes from a very uh, Jewish perspective. And you see that in the way he treats the genealogy of Jesus and talks about the feasts and uses terms that that uh, the Hebrew people would know and be familiar with. And, um, and so we've already seen, of course, the, the, the birth of Jesus, and we talked about shepherds, and we saw Jesus then being, of course, tempted in the desert um, by Satan to begin his ministry and um, what that looked like. And then um, today we are looking at Jesus actually beginning his public ministry with his disciples, right? And so this morning, our theme is discipleship. And it's something we talk about a lot here at Trinity, so you should all be familiar with that. As I mentioned earlier, the learn, grow, and serve of our core values is all about how we pursue being disciples. But this morning, we're going to simply look at what it means to be a disciple. Um, so D.L. Moody, who's a very a famous pastor and theologian, has this famous quote. He is known for saying this. It is better to train 12 people than to do the work of 12 people, but it's much harder. Make sense? Again, he says, it's better to train 12 people than to have to do the work of 12 people, but it's much harder. Here's a principle we see that Jesus lives out and teaches us. You know, when I was growing up, my, uh, my dad always gave my brother and I chores to do. It's a very common thing. Parents give their children chores to do. And, you know, I believe, of course, looking back, he was trying to teach me responsibility and good work ethic. I didn't get that at the time, of course. It just seemed like work with no purpose, right? Other than just so my dad didn't have to do it. That was the way it seemed. But, of course, you know, chores like taking out the garbage and mowing the lawn, which are two of the chores that... Uh, I was often given, my brother and I would certainly, we would take this strategy of procrastinating as long as we could until inevitably what would happen? He would do it himself, right? Because sometimes we would wear him down. But why is that? I think we've all been there, parents, and then as kids we can remember doing something similar because at the end of the day, and it's just human nature, as D.L. Moody points out, Boy, you know, it's much easier just to kind of do it. Now, if you got 12, the work of 12 people, it's harder. But if you're giving somebody a chore to do, especially the kid that doesn't want to do it, at the end of the day, isn't it so much easier to just take out the garbage than to continue to remind your child to do it? But yet my dad would be persistent. 
until inevitably sometimes he would give in and just do it. But yeah, you know, my brother and I thought we were pretty smart. <laughs> but of course we weren't. Why? Because we were missing out on an opportunity to learn, to do the work ourselves so that we could learn responsibility, so we could learn how to be helpful, to be productive, so that maybe one day we could teach our own kids or others. And how would we do that if we didn't learn to do it first, not just by telling us how, but by showing us how? My dad, I think, did a good job of that, but it was two against one, so sometimes he had no chance, right? We know what that's like. So let me ask you this question. Why did Jesus, in light of what we do as parents and teaching our kids you know, responsibility through chores, and in light of what D.L. Moody says, why did Jesus choose to call 12 disciples to teach, to train, to live with, to experience life with, to invest in for three and a half years? If he is God... He could have just done it all himself, which he obviously could have, and that would not have been hard for him at all. Just think about that for a second, practically. Why would Jesus Jesus choose 12 men, 12 ordinary men, tax collectors, some fishermen, not trained, not especially adept at what he was calling them to do? Why would he choose to do that? And then, why would he tell his disciples when he was about to leave that they should go and do the same thing, that they should go and make disciples and teaching them everything that he had taught them and showing them the way as Jesus had shown them the way, and he said that they should do that throughout the known world when he could have simply just done it himself. You see, it's an important question to ask. It might seem kind of uh, mundane or just simple, but there is an important and profound reason behind it. Jesus chooses to use us. It is his plan and his will. I hope you believe that. Because that really, just that one simple understanding should change the way we look at how we live our lives. That God chooses to use us to work out his will somehow. It's always his will, but that is God's plan. The church, that's all of us together as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, choosing to obey him to be a disciple, was committed to following the ways of our master Jesus. He calls us to change the world. And how do we do that? By one heart, one mind at a time, simply by proclaiming the gospel. I like to say it this way, we get to be disciples if we choose to do so. We get to participate in his plan. We get to carry on his mission. We get to be his hands and feet until he returns. We get to tell people about him and show them how to live for him. We get to represent Jesus on earth, and we get to bring hope to a world in need. Do you see that we get to do it? It's a privilege to be asked by the master to follow him and then to follow after him, to carry on his mission. See, Jesus was on mission. We mentioned that last time we were together. 
He was on mission. He had a message to bring of salvation, and he was on a mission, and he was on a mission for his father. That's why he often went away to spend time to pray and spend time with the father so that he could be reminded of that and be re-energized and refueled, just like we all need to do. But he also desires our fellowship. See, we get to, and God wants to. Isn't that amazing? That's why we talk about this thing called Christianity, our faith being a relationship, not just a religion. He desires our fellowship. He wants us to join him. Our God is highly relational, and he loves us. So he wants it, and we get to. That's the way it's supposed to work. And ultimately, it's an act of love on his part. Just as my dad didn't want to just teach us to do stuff so he just wouldn't have to, at least I don't think so, it was because he loved us, and ultimately he wanted to to see us like live and thrive and to be able to do these things on our own so that we could learn responsibility and a good work ethic. So we could live and work on our own when we left the house and he was no longer with us every day to show us, didn't Jesus do the basic same thing when he was heading back to heaven and he gave in Matthew 28 what we call the great commission, commissioning his disciples, now go and do likewise. He says, go in all the world and make disciples. That's what Jesus was doing. He was the disciple maker. He says, go and do the same thing. Be disciples who are making disciples. See how simple that is, but how important it is? That is what the church is to be about doing. We can do that in many ways, and we have different events and programs and ministries, and it's important but we should never lose focus of what we're called to do. We're not called to actually fix all of the ills of society and to fix all the broken things. God does that. But what does he use us to do in his plan to do that? And that is to tell people about Jesus because Jesus is the difference maker. Jesus is the one who changes lives. In fact, the men are going to this retreat at Harvey Cedars and their motto which has been for over 100 years, is where Christ finds people and changes lives. Because we gather in a place like that to be reminded of these important truths. So Jesus called disciples to learn, to grow, to serve, to follow him. He calls us today, 2,000 years later, to do the same. And so the simple question is, are you willing? And that's the question you have to ask yourself this morning. You see, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus and him alone for that forgiveness, the Bible says that we are saved. There's only ever one condition for salvation, and that is believing. It says it over 160 times in the New Testament alone, whenever it talks about believing or trusting or having faith in Jesus Right? Whenever it talks about salvation, it's going to use one of those words because we don't have to do works in order to earn our salvation because we cannot. We cannot earn it because we don't deserve it. We don't have to and we cannot earn it. We don't have to do anything to keep it. We're secure. We don't have to do anything to prove it because our salvation is assured. It's a beautiful gospel. 
a gospel of hope, a gospel of love, a gospel of grace. Because grace teaches us that it is God who did all that was necessary that we would simply believe, like reaching out and receiving a present, saying thank you. So that is how we receive salvation. The gift of God through Jesus Christ offered to the whole world, John 3, 16. But once we are saved and we are secure and we know that we are promised eternal life, that we can never lose that, we can be assured of that, Jesus then says, okay, do you want to be my disciples? That's the hard work. That takes discipline. That takes sacrifice. It's going to include suffering. Jesus said that it would. So that's what we're talking about today when Jesus, in our passage, which we're about to read, he calls his first disciples. So notice what he says to them. In the rest of our time this morning, we're going to unpack just three things that we can glean from this passage. So you notice, I want this to kind of be a context for you. You were either given this or it's on the table or it was on one of the seats in front of you. Make sure you have one of these. Uh, It's good to look at it right now. Um, So if you can grab one, if not, please make sure you take it with you. We've handed these out before. We've always had them available. But I wanted to highlight this before I read the scripture because this is our discipleship pathway resource. It's a tool that we have here that we rolled out last year that helps us all to stay on track, to stay on mission for living for Jesus. Because when he calls us to be disciples, as we'll see for the rest of our time together this morning, a bit about what that looks like, we recognize from the scriptures, our discipleship pathway, we sort of have it mapped out like this. It's like these stepping stones. There's 12 of them. They're not in any particular order. That's important to notice. It's not a formula. But these are things, and you can look at it, the one in front of you, it makes sure you grab it on the way out, that you will see that these are 12 things that Jesus and his disciples teach us in the Bible about how to be a follower, but they all start at the same place. It's the bigger one in the different color. Trusting in Jesus for salvation. You can't be a disciple of Jesus if you haven't believed that he is who he says he is and that he did what he said he was going to do for us. But once you make that profession of faith and believe in him for the salvation of your sin, that he's the only one that could do it, then he calls us to be disciples. And these are the things that we are to focus on. Learning how to spend time with Jesus. His first 12 disciples did that, didn't they? They spent three and a half years with him. Learning how to tell your story. What does it look like to tell others about your encounter with Jesus? Understanding grace better. If this is a gospel of grace, we certainly need to understand what it means that we are saved by grace. We are to get baptized. It's a commandment of Jesus once you put your faith and trust in him to be baptized, to get into community, realizing we can't do this alone. You join a local church. Take grace to your world. Take it beyond your house and the four walls of the church. It's about being on mission. We're all called to be missionaries. How about serving in the church, using your spiritual gifts to bless others in the church, discovering your spiritual gifts? You got to know what they are first before you use them Practicing grace with others. What does it look like to be in that community and in relationship, grace in relationship? 
learning how to be generous. We're called to give not only of our finances, but our time and our treasures and also helping others follow Jesus. What does it look like to lead and to teach and, and help others be followers? It's a great resource that I wanted to make sure that you're aware of that, remind you of that. And we had our grace booklet, a teaching that most of us have gone through. Our next one is actually done at the printers on Monday. It's called Tell Your Story, Tell The Story. It's a new booklet, uh, an opportunity for us to learn together throughout this, the rest of this year and the coming year. What does it look like to form your testimony? If you got in an elevator with somebody, you want to tell them about Jesus, and you had 30 seconds, how would you do it? Right? Some of us are like, oh my gosh. But think about it. How do you share your faith in Jesus? Maybe you have two hours with somebody. You're sitting on a train or on the plane, right? And somebody asked you about it. And you have a whole lot of time. How would you do it? So what is the gospel? So how do you tell your story? But how do you tell the story? How would you share the gospel in 20 words or less? What does that look like? So we will have this new resource to help us all do that. So keep that all in mind as we read the scripture this morning. Here is what it says in Matthew 4, 18 to 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. That's our passage for today. So Jesus has proclaimed his public ministry. We know from Luke 4, he already had gone into the temple in his hometown of Nazareth, and he was reading from the scroll in Isaiah, saying that he came to fulfill that prophecy from Isaiah. And he begins his earthly ministry. And then we see Matthew telling us that he calls these first four guys, and then we see later another two, the first six, and he calls them to follow him. And he says something interesting, doesn't he? He says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What an interesting phrase. Because they were fishing, right? They were fishermen, mending their nets, out on the boat fishing. A couple of them were with their father. They probably had a fishing business. It's how they lived, made their living. And he calls them, and he says, come and follow me. But look at what verse 20 says. Immediately, it was Peter and Andrew, right? They left their nets and followed him. And then when he calls James and John, two other brothers, immediately they left the boat and their father followed him. Think about the father. What did he think? Where are you guys come? But this is the family business. But to uh, point out a few things. And then what we're going to do is just answer these three simple questions. What is a disciple of Jesus? Why should we become disciples of Jesus? And how do you become a disciple of Jesus? 
First, I want to clarify that these first ones that he called, and then the 12 we know, and the many others, are disciples of Jesus. The reason I say that is because the word disciple is not um, specifically to a follower of Jesus. Many people have disciples. I mean, you can be a disciple of someone else or even of something else. John the Baptist had disciples, and of course, he wasn't the Messiah. The Pharisees had disciples, those who followed them. Rabbis have disciples. They still have them. And, you know, in in Lakewood, our Jewish friends there, the Orthodox Jewish community, they have many rabbis, and there are young men there who follow those rabbis. They're in a big school. They're learning. And there's so much weight put on what does the rabbi say about any particular thing from the law or the prophets. So there are rabbis that have disciples. Of course, Jesus was called a good rabbi. So I just want to make that clear. We're talking about disciples of Jesus because we have to be careful that we're not disciples of anyone else or anything else other than Jesus himself. Now, another clarification before we get into it is that it might not seem like it from this passage, but when you put all the Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it becomes clear that these disciples that Jesus just called to be fishers of men, to be his disciples, they had already met Jesus. It might seem like they maybe heard of him but never knew him, and he just comes along and says, hey, you follow me, and they're just like, let's go. They had already known Jesus and had already put their faith and trust in him. And so we see that from the Gospel of John. See, the Gospel of John is different in many ways from the other three. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. Most of their stories are the same. Timelines match up. John is very different. John is very evangelistic in nature. It's got a different feel and a different vibe to it. Although, of course, still talking about the same Jesus But the Gospel of John, right, shows us the the initial introductory meeting of Jesus with Andrew, John, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and the others when they first met him and then became believers in him as the promised Messiah. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like ours today and Matthew, describe the actual calling of Jesus for these men to be disciples, and it's a big distinction because they were already believers. So they believed they had met him, they had met John the Baptist, they went, and now they went back to their job as fishermen because they believed that he was the Messiah. They were telling other people about him, but they were still working as fishermen out on the boats, mending their nets. Then Jesus comes along as he's beginning his earthly ministry. He's calling 12 specifically to him to teach them, to train them. Because, of course, Jesus knew he wasn't going to be that long, that he was on mission, that he knew his ultimate wish, mission was to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So he is training these men so that they can become his disciples following him. The men would have known what that whole thing was like because there were rabbis, of course, in the day that had disciples. And so he's come along saying, follow me. They said, oh, it's Jesus. Now is the time. We already believed in him. Now we're going to commit our lives to him and actually follow him. So they left the family and the family business, and they went to follow him. See, it's an important distinction that these men in our reading today had already met and believed in Jesus. But now he was saying, 
come be my disciple. Isn't it cool what he says? He says, now I'll make you fishers of men. See, they were fishermen. Now he says, I'll make you fishers of men. Men meaning, of course, all people, mankind. He's saying, now we're going to go fish for people. But of course, they knew what fishing was all about. He says, now we're going to do something more important. So, when Jesus called Peter and Andrew, James and John to follow him, to leave fishing he, so they could teach them to be fishers of men, they left immediately because that was the moment of commitment. Are we willing to follow Jesus? We know we believed in him for salvation, but are we willing to now trust him enough so that we can learn to say what he says and to do what he does to emulate him? So Jesus began his public uh, ministry by preaching. We saw that in earlier passages. He came along preaching, taking the message to the synagogues throughout the land. But his ministry wasn't just preaching to the people. It was involving discipleship. And he called these individuals to follow him to be learners, disciples, disciples. Jesus called many others to be his disciples. He spent much time with them, walking with them and eating, laughing with them, crying with them, showing them things, teaching them from God's word. And at the end of his earthly ministry, Matthew 28, he tells them to go and do the same thing. So first, what does it actually mean to become Jesus' disciple? Disciple simply means a learner follower. I think we understand that, but it's more than just listening and learning. It's about wanting to imitate the one that you're following. It's to do what they do and to say what they say. It's the idea of being like them, emulating them, living it out. Not only believing what they're saying, but doing what they're telling you to do. It's simply to follow If you're following somebody, you're watching where they're going. You ever follow somebody, you're on a road trip and you're following them and the person in front of you changes lanes, so you change lane. They get off that exit, you get off that exit. Why? Because you're going to the same place and you said, I'll follow you. You know the directions. You go, I'll follow you. So you're going to emulate and mimic what they're doing because they are leading the way. So Jesus is calling his disciples to do the same thing. When Jesus told Peter and Andrew and James and John to follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, he was saying, come on, listen to me, watch me, learn from me, follow my example. That's what a disciple is. Someone who's committed to be intentional but following the ways of Jesus. But number two, why should we become his disciple? I think it's a, a fair question. Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. Just as they would worked in going after fish, now they were going to be going after people, a much more important industry. And Jesus said it in the Great Commission that they would be making more disciples. Stated by Jesus on another occasion, said to be like their teacher. Just as Christ sought to save people and make them disciples, So his disciples were to seek and save the lost. Why become a disciple? One, Jesus calls us to discipleship. But two, again, from where I began, it's God's plan for how to bring hope to this world. 
by using us, the church. We don't just look at the missionaries around the map on our wall. We don't just look at the professional preachers to do that and the teachers. They all have their place and their calling. But do you know that we're all called to be missionaries? We're all called to be preachers and teachers of the word to some degree or another. The Spirit's given us gifts as believers. Some of us excel. Some of us are have the gift of evangelism. We can do that more naturally and others can lead us, but we're all called to evangelize, to tell others about Jesus. So why become his disciple? As I said earlier, we get to follow him. It's a privilege to follow after the master when he calls. But it's part of God's plan for the redemption and salvation of this world. See, we have the truth, church. The Christians have the truth of the gospel. And we are to proclaim it with our words and live it out with our lives each and every day. We might not be able to reach the millions of unreached people in the world, but we can reach the person next to us. Remember that old, old illustration with the young boy on the beach? And he shows up and he notices a storm had washed up thousands of starfish on the beach. So he's picking them up one by one, putting them back into the ocean waves to bring them out. An old man comes along and says, young man, what are you doing? He says, I'm saving the starfish. And the man looks down the beach and says, you'll never be able to save them all. What does it even matter? He says, it matters to this one. He throws it in. See, every person matters to God. We have our spheres of influence, our families, our, 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 our friends, the people we work with, the people in our neighborhood. We should become disciples because Jesus calls us to make that commitment. Yes, it's going to be hard. It's taking sacrifice. It's taking putting aside our own will, our own desires for his. Jesus says it's completely worth it. And finally, how do you become Jesus' disciple? He says, follow me. Those disciples would spend three and a half years about following Jesus around. During that time, they would listen to what he said. They would observe what he did. And eventually, in Matthew 28, he would call them to carry on his work. In fact, I'll read to you. In the end of Acts chapter 2, you can turn there. If you have your Bibles, it's a good place to look. You can see what the kind of looked like for these early believers in Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit came upon those first believers on the day of Pentecost, where there were many Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem again for another feast. And at the end of Matthew 22, 42 to 47, listen to the description of the early church, the early gathering and what they were doing. It says in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, they, that means the believers, the first believers, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which they learned from Jesus, of course, and to fellowship, which means they did it together. They got together. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, they ate meals together. They had communion together, remembering what Jesus had taught them the night before he was betrayed, and they prayed together. That's what they did. It said continually. This was their regular habit. Gathering together, eating meals together, remembering 
the sacrifice of Jesus, devoting themselves to listening to the teaching of the apostles as they taught what Jesus taught them and what the Word of God says. Verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Lives were being changed. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They were sharing life together. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. No, they were not communists. (laughs) Why? Because this is all voluntary. They weren't commanded to do it. But they were moved to do it. This is just describing what was happening. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. Verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So look, so it's kind of what we do, right? We get together on Sundays. We have our celebration service. We worship together. We, we listen to the word together. We get to fellowship. But then it says they met from house to house. I think for us, that looks like throughout the week. We give somebody a phone call. You text somebody. You get together. You have coffee. You have a meal together. Maybe you get a small group together. You meet in somebody's home regularly every week, every other week, something like that. You get together because it says they even went from house to house and they were taking their meals together. There's that mention of food again. I guess that's important to Jesus. I think we've all learned that one pretty well. We eat together. With gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Not only that, they were doing such a good job of, of worshiping Jesus and loving one another, and encouraging and challenging, challenging each other, the non-believing community noticed it, and they found favor in their community. The unbelieving community liked them. They found favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They simply were being disciples of Jesus, learning what he taught, doing what he taught them to do, And they did it in community, gathering together. They had some food sometimes. They prayed together. And as they were doing that, the world around them was changing. And the world will never be the same. From those 12 disciples, the word spread. To be a disciple of Jesus requires that we choose to follow him to spend time with him, to carry on his work. How are we doing, church, with spending time with our master, Jesus? So then we might ask a final question. How can we do this if he's no longer with us on earth? I mean, Jesus isn't sitting here in one of the chairs, right? Please don't raise your hand. Say he's sitting next to you. But he is, of course, in spirit within us. He's not walking among us, though, in human form. For us to talk to and to listen to and to watch but yes he is he is with us every step of the way and he told his disciples i will be with you always even to the end of the age which he was saying until i return to this earth until i come back to get you and then until i come back to this earth to set up my kingdom i will still be with you then jesus says abide in my word See, by learning and observing what he taught, they would truly be his disciples. And as Jesus would say to his followers before he returned to heaven, Matthew 28, again, the Great Commission, he said, observe all the things I have commanded you. Not just 
read the things that I taught that you like, but he said, do those things, all the things I've commanded you to do. He says, observe them, listen and learn and do. He talks about being baptized in the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you to do. And he says, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, because all authority is his. So to be a disciple of Jesus, we are intentionally choosing to follow him. We become believers by putting our faith and trust in him. And then he says, okay, you want to choose to follow me? Because I did all the work of salvation. You received it by faith, by believing. But discipleship is hard work. But he says, look, the beautiful thing is we get to spend time together. Pray to me, I'll listen, I'll answer your prayers. We get to read his word, the words that he left for us. We get to study his word, meditate upon it, to do what he teaches. You know what? We do it all through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't even have to rely on our own will or our own strength to do it. We have the Holy Spirit within us to help us live that holy and righteous life of following Jesus And I I try to say this as often as I could. The key to discipleship of following Jesus, it's not about trying harder. It's about surrendering more. See that key to discipleship? It's not about trying harder. It's about surrendering more. The way to victory in Jesus is by raising the white flag of surrender and saying, God, I can't do it on my own. Jesus, lead me and teach me. Holy Spirit, give me the strength and the power and the wisdom to do it. That's why surrender is the key to living that victorious Christian life. But then naturally, we finally ask, okay, what's this going to cost me? Jesus asked me to do this. What what do I have to pay? What, What does it cost me to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, let's learn from them. His first disciples left everything, didn't they? They didn't say to Zebedee, the dad, We'll be back tomorrow. Just give us a day or two. They just got up and left. They followed the call of Jesus to be a disciple. They left their business and family. Peter says later in in Matthew 19, Peter would say to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. And when he said everything, he meant that. Their business, their family to follow him. Jesus expects the same of other disciples, that he would come before family, that one would be willing to suffer hardship, it says it in Matthew 10 and Luke 9. Simply put, to forsake all, to follow him. Jesus calls us to be his disciples. Jesus also expects that we would bear fruit, Matthew 3. But listen to how John puts this, John 15, 8. It says this way. Um, this is actually him recounting what Jesus says. By this, my Father in heaven is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So he's saying the Father in heaven is glorified, When we bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. See the connection? He's saying, if you're going to be my followers and you're going to follow after me and choose to do those hard things, surrendering your will to mine, he says, you'll bear fruit. Some of us bear more fruit than others. The thief on the cross didn't have time to bear fruit, but I believe we'll see him in heaven. But yet, as we follow him and surrender ourselves to him, Jesus is looking for us to bear fruit. But there's also a reward. We praise God for that. 
for those of us who are willing to accept that call, along with that cost of self-surrender, there's the promise of great blessing. Listen to this, Mark chapter 10. Peter began to say to Jesus, behold, we've left everything and followed you. I just read that. So then this was Jesus' response. Listen to Jesus talking to Peter. Peter's like, Jesus, we did it. We left everything for you. We're following you. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left their house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and farms, along with persecutions, and also in the age to come, eternal life, Jesus said. There are rewards. There's eternal heavenly rewards. And God blesses us when we choose to follow him here in this life as well. So church, have we followed the call and responsibility of discipleship? It's following Jesus not only your priority in life, but is he the center of your life? Do we spend more time fishing for fish than we do fishing for men? Would you stand with me? Jesus gives us this call. This, in fact, was our theme verse recently in previous years. And Jesus says to them, this is from Luke 9, if anyone wishes to come after me, which means you want to be my disciple, he says that elsewhere, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is not the way to salvation. Salvation is by believing. He is calling believers and saying, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to cost. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily, realizing there's going to be persecution. And follow me. Where was Jesus going when he said to follow him? He was going to the cross. But look at this. We, we often, we know that verse. Look at the verses before it that give us the context. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, the Christ of God. But Jesus warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And then he says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, we have to keep that in context. So Jesus just told them what's going to happen to him, that he's going to be rejected. He's going to suffer. The leadership is going to want to kill him. And he says, if you want to follow me, then follow me. What were they thinking after he told them that was going to happen? He says, does not sound great? Now come and follow me. But that's Jesus' call to discipleship. Believing in the gospel is the one condition for salvation, but then Jesus says, come to a life that is worth living, one that is full of rewards on this side of heaven and beyond in eternal life. And the privilege is ours that we get to follow the master. But he said, committing our lives to be disciples is hard work. It takes discipline and sacrifice. And Jesus said there will be suffering for if the world hated him, he said the world would hate us. But yet what a privilege it is to be disciples of Jesus. Amen. Father God, we thank you for our time together today. And as we leave this place, would you bless us?
Lord, motivate us, challenge us, rebuke us where we need rebuking. Motivate us, Lord God. Encourage us from your word. We pray for that wisdom, for that discernment that we need. Through the spirit in us, give us that strength to lay aside all that is self and to simply put on the new self in Jesus Christ that we would be willing to say yes to your call to be your disciple. God, take us from this place, being hopeful, being encouraged, knowing that we have that hope within us that we can tell others about. God, bring us people this week into our lives that we can introduce, that we can introduce you to, Lord God, that we can tell the people, hey, do you know about Jesus? And Father, at the end of the day, we want you to get all the glory. So we say thank you for our time together today and for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us together this morning, church. May the Lord bless you.
risen, he is risen, he's alive.